welcome to WISMED On Call, a podcast from the Wisconsin Medical Society that looks at some of the top issues affecting patients in the practice of medicine in Wisconsin. I'm your host, Peter Welch, Vice President of Membership and Communications. The healthcare system and the technology that supports it continues to change at a rapid pace. As new technology disrupts the way that care is delivered, who delivers it, and how much it costs, physicians are at risk of being left out of that conversation. The Medical Society is making efforts to ensure that physicians are at the table in the discussion about emergent technologies. This summer, we are partnering with Generator, a nationally recognized startup accelerator, to host the first on-ramp healthcare conference at Lambeau Field in Green Bay. This event will bring together entrepreneurs, corporate venture capital, healthcare leaders, and many clinical voices, including physicians, nurses, and pharmacists, there to advance the, a mission-driven approach to healthcare innovation. We're not doing this alone, however. We have partnered with other thought leaders in Wisconsin who care about thoughtful and courageous healthcare transformation. Joining me today to talk about this is Dr. Tim Bartholow, VP and CMO at NewGen, a shared services organization that manages the not-for-profit health plan WEA Trust, as well as Health Traditions, another Wisconsin-based health plan. Tim also has a long history with the Wisconsin Medical Society, at one point in time serving as our CMO. Tim, thank you so much for joining me. Peter, great to be with you. So let's start with the first most important question. Why did NewGen choose to support this on-ramp healthcare conference? It's an unusual choice in some ways, and others believe that a lot of the answers that are going to happen in the improved coordination of care and, uh, and in access to information uh, is going to happen through the same process that we watched uh, as the iPhone uh, or other such technology became common. And uh, we believe that the creator space needs uh, our encouragement. And as you, as you watch our company, we actually are becoming customers of several of these new technologies. It's my great privilege to join the Medical Society in, in uh, this sponsorship. So let's dive in a little bit about the trends in technology. The healthcare industry is resistant, we'll say, perhaps to some kind of innovation, but not to others. You know, where we see new, you know, knee replacement technology, we see new pacemakers, we see new diagnostic machines, but not so much on the patient access or the physician empowerment side of things. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so uh, one of the giant uh, struggles that our members, which turn out to be community members, right? They turn out to be part of the public, if you will, uh, is that the, the deductibles that they're experiencing rise rapidly. And um, uh, we can have a new drug or we can have a new device that's, uh, you know, 60,000, 80,000, uh, 900,000. And that's a real number, right? We have some new drugs that are uh, just short of a million dollars. And when that happens, the patient or the patient, the group that the patient's with is assigned or experiences all of that cost. So we're looking for solutions that, yes, of course, increase uh, the quality care, right? They improve the quality care, but we also need solutions that are actually helping the total cost of care be less. For all the docs out there, right, that have had a patient say, well, doctor, I'd love to do what you've just asked me to do but I can't or I can't afford it or you send them out of the, the clinic and they call you back later and they say I, I can't afford the $300 eye drop, right? Cost is stopping the access for some patients and I think we clinicians 
have got to be ever smarter about uh, trying to improve their total cost experience or they won't get care. So your role as a payer is unique. Do you see other payers uh, in this space looking at ways to innovate and reduce costs or are you guys a unique player there? Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting. I uh, just got off the phone earlier today with Sandbox and uh, Mike is working on an entire portfolio of better care but, but less expense. There's a lot of venture capital in, uh, in terms of the number of companies or number of uh, groups that have come to Wisconsin. And part of what we've tried to do is try to focus the investment by those groups in better care, yes, of course, but also at a total cost that's less or somehow that, that the patient actually gets better uh, access. There's a small, uh, but I think a growing syndicate, if you will, of those companies interested in exactly that. So when we look at new technology, a lot of it tends to drive costs up, right? There's a cost to creating a new drug and the drug company fails 99% of its attempts and it has, wants to recoup that investment on the one drug that's successful and so it drives this cost up. But the kind of technology we're talking about at this conference isn't necessarily following that path. It's stuff that puts the power back into the, the patient's hand, the clinician hand. It empowers the pharmacist, it empowers the patient. What do you see as the, the next biggest opportunities to innovate? Or where, where can we best move the needle on this, this cost of care that empowers that patient or that clinician? You know, foundationally, it seems to me that when I was most frustrated in a clinic asking the question, why did this have to happen, right? Why was the patient delayed in getting care? Why was... Uh, and you were in practice for, for how many years? Uh, for just short of 20. Um, we would, you know, we'd be able to identify, you know, if they just had advice at a time when they needed it, right? Mm -hmm. Think of the times when you just want a little bit of pharmacy advice. You want just a little bit of nursing advice. How does this wound look? Is there, uh, you know, is there a, a potential for the patient to fall? And they do. Or, you know, or the clinician that can just um, even take a look at a picture of a rash, for instance. I think foundationally, we've got to get, we've got to get the advice that we all have, have so carefully honed through years of training, whether it's a physician, a nurse, a therapist, a pharmacist, how do we bring that advice closer to the patient? And, um, you know, in telehealth, which as a family doc, I've been a little cautious about, what I've realized is that if the patient can get the advice of, should I go to the emergency room or not, at three o'clock in the morning, mm -hmm. they'll actually ask that question, right? I don't know how many times that the patient might have had that question but didn't ask it because well I gotta get out of my jammies and gotta get in the car and it's cold and it's 3 a.m. it's gonna cost me money and what I realized is that with the availability of advice like that literally within minutes we actually make it free because it's such important help to the patient what happens is those folks that didn't need to go don't and then that, you know, their uh, experience, uh, it doesn't then cost them money or doesn't give them a bill that they gotta pay through time. The hospital isn't trying to chase, you know, for a billing that wasn't actually all that necessary. Or we find patients that we accelerate to care. And I've seen many examples of that as well to say, you know what, ma'am, uh, we're in a telehealth experience here. Uh, this actually needs to be seen right away. And please don't, don't delay. And the patient actually comes to care quicker. 
So, you know, in summary, right? If you are uh, if you're a child psychiatrist and you're in the you're in a specific geography, but there's somebody you know six hours from you or two hours from you that needs you, and you could give a little bit of advice or you could give 45 minutes of advice, but you can't be in all of those geographies, right? That's just better. The advice has come closer to the patient, right? So I, I think again, foundationally, whether it's the pharmacist giving advice about uh, you know medication reconciliation and what are the proper medications, what are the interactions, there's a nurse evaluating you know, a, a wound or something of that kind uh, via uh, telehealth, that advice has gotten closer to the patient. I think that's what we need to work on. Has the money followed, right? It always comes back to reimbursement. So you have a new, a new innovation in telehealth. Is the money there to support these things that are driving better care, better directed care, getting the right people to the right services at the right time? You know, does that fit? Is that a round peg in a square hole for the whole payment process? Yeah, no, there's uh, many there's many different uh, pieces to solve, but there is plenty of money. It's not <laughs> it's not that there's not enough money. Um, I think there's not enough imagination, as insurers, and I I, I include us, uh, but also the sector. Uh, our responsibility isn't to make sure that. You know, we pay for the new pacemaker because the pacemaker company has a need to be in business, right? That's not our, our obligation is to a patient getting care, right? And as you know, and as some of our membership, you know, some of our, uh, uh, our psychiatrists know, you, it's hard to find a behavioral health visit and the geriatricians, right? It's, it's a many month wait uh, in order to get access to that care. And so the traditional system in many ways is failing the opportunity, right, to, to actually deliver advice. So, uh, yeah, right, I don't think that the current payment system uh, doesn't act exactly the way that it needs to in order to encourage the evolution of a new, system, new you know, a new delivery system per se. But companies like uh, WA and Health Tradition, companies like uh, a series of other insurers are making deliberate intentional investments. We sit on the boards, we sit on the advisory functions. Uh, we increasingly regard this as an obligation, not just a, is this an opportunity, but it's actually in, in sort of being a community steward, it's our job to, to encourage certain of these new kinds of uh, opportunities. And whether the payment system supports it or not, we've uh, now made relationships with probably five, maybe seven different companies. And I have every intention to, to be a, a recurring revenue consumer for at least five more because I know there are pain points that we can solve by bringing that clinical advice closer to the patient. And it's not all, it's not all telehealth. There are lots of other solutions. This gets at the core reason for the medical society moving into this space. It might seem like an unusual space for us to be in as a medical society, but as we represent the voice of medicine, that voice needs to be present as new technology emerges. We found great partnership with Generator, great partnership with some of the other sponsors we brought into this, including yourselves. And what we've come up with, you know, the theme of this conference has, has a manifesto attached to it, which, which I'm very proud of. But the crux of it really focuses on technology and supporting technology that reduces costs, increases access to care, and empowers the clinical staff. Now, what are, this is a broad question, but what are the stakes of this conversation? Why now? Why in 2019? Why is this the important conversation to have? And is this conference 
just another healthcare conference. Yeah, so, uh, you know, what are the stakes here? Well, okay, so guess what? Uh, you and I are pretty well resourced in our in our lives, in our community, and I'm guessing a lot of the, the uh, listenership is also, right? But there are a lot of people in our communities that, you know, are existing on an annual salary of $40,000 and less, or many, many, many people living on uh, literally 30000 and less, mm-hmm. right? And those folks don't get the opportunity to, to have access unless we can make uh, solutions that allow them uh, a path. If I have 15 school districts, and I do now with $10,000 deductibles, how do we expect even the middle wage earner to be able to say, yeah, no, I can justify, uh, I needed uh, colonoscopy last year, they found something, we're gonna do it again this year, right? And that patient, actually has full responsibility for for those uh, expenses and I think we're kidding ourselves that expensive uh, oncology therapies and expensive uh, you know even just insulin which has gone up at like 17 percent every year for the last many we are we are having our patients priced out of how uh, they're going to access care so why not so the doctor at the moment, right, is it hasn't set up necessarily. They they've we relied on. We wanted to be a part of large systems, um, but the system hasn't necessarily made the distance between that patient and the advice less. And so, if we aren't dedicated, earnest, um, urgent, frankly, as as clinicians trying to bring a team-based coordinated care solution to our patients. And instead we're relying on whatever the traditional system is, which is, it's not just hard, it's getting harder and harder, right? If, if medical society isn't in that, trying to help the physicians, trying to, to be a part of uh, getting closer to their patients, what, what are we about, right? What, what is it that we clinicians are about if we don't every day of our, our professional existence try to make sure that you know, with humility, we are making access to some patient who needs our thoughts. We're proud to be able to sort of set the table, set the table for the conversation and, and bring the right stakeholders to that table for this conversation. You know, to your point about, about larger health systems, at this event, we're going to have the participation of, you know, most of the major healthcare systems here in the state. So we're really hoping to have a great conversation driven towards these solutions that we all know we need to address. Yesterday we had uh, our doctor day, our annual lobbying day, where we bring many, many of our, many hundreds of our members to Madison to advocate. And we had the governor speaking. Governor Evers said that we were at a watershed moment for healthcare in the state, a watershed moment. Right now, the assembly and Senate and the governor are debating a Medicaid expansion and looking at these questions and in the theme of how do we help and look at the whole patient, whether or not they can afford rent, and school and food and health care it's unsustainable for many people as, as you mentioned so do you agree we're at a watershed moment is it is it now that we have to act yeah no I think uh, uh, we um, if we worked as quickly as we could we're gonna be we're gonna have many many people under strain in ways that you know Wisconsin and frankly the region hasn't seen before um, and I'm sure some of us are seeing this, right? If you're an oncologist, you know, you've had the experience of having somebody not be able to get their 
their medication or if you're a primary caregiver you've had the experience of you know trying to justify having enough medical assistant help in your clinic in order to uh, see people in you know something shorter than a, a three-week or four-week wait if you're an endocrinologist you may have a hard time getting people in within six months of mm -hmm. when they've requested so yeah no now go ahead and wait for a little while see how that right <laughs> see how that works out yeah it's a really big problem and, and I would emphasize to us Peter it's it doesn't have to be all a doc solution right mm -hmm. how do you do proper shared decision-making about complex illness right how do you uh, we did a lot of work around advanced care planning how do you get how do you have an authentic proper advanced care plan is that gonna be in the doctor's hands probably not alone right you know the doc may say well this is these coordination events are important places for you to be involved carefully and for you to help make choices in your care um, but we're gonna have the social worker we're gonna have uh, our nurse colleague uh, work on us with that or how about the patient who comes and they you know how many of us have had people with 14 and 16 medications come to us and I have to tell you within the you know insurance function we see 20 26 medications mm -hmm. And that's a diagnosis of coordination and not happening, right? Mm -hmm. So you have these people who are delicate with multiple chronic diseases. Now they have polypharmacy. And we know that 5% of all of the 100,000 people we have in our insurance company have actually an adverse drug event. Mm. And part of that is because we are not able to spend the proper time taking care of, talking to, understanding the patient better. So if the time's not now to be doing this, right? If the time is not when each one of us is watching the sort of erosion of the patient's access to our expertise, even across professions, and I may, if I dare say, causing burnout, frankly, right? Mm -hmm. uh, when, when we want to be doing one thing so badly and we're in a place where we're having to advise the patient go get more expensive care because that's meeting our employer's need, or uh, that they, um, you know, that, that we want to have them uh, only be seen in places where the care is somehow supporting our employer. It, it's, it, it, it wears the clinician. And um, I think that problem, if we let it sit there for another four or five years, we will deeply regret and wonder what were we doing today? Or what was so, in, so important about today that we couldn't be working on this, this question harder? Glad you bring up burnout. You know, it's a it's an issue we've talked about a number of times on this podcast, and continues to be an important issue for us and our members. How do you empower? And you know, we see empowerment as sort of that opposite end of the spectrum of burnout. When you have agency to make decisions and agency to act for your patient's best interest, how do we empower those physicians, those nurses, those pharmacists who are seeing patients? How do we empower them to help drive innovation, to help drive these solutions when they're part of these? big systems. What do you say to that frontline physician, that frontline nurse? Yeah, you know, they can't solve everything all at once, right? I, I would, <laughs> it would hasten to say, look, the, the, the system as it is, is taking care of, you know, we could do a little better job maybe and getting to many folks more quickly, but we're generally speaking taking care of, and you know, the population of, for instance, Wisconsin. We wouldn't want to drastically, you know, change that and slow down the current process in some way. However, incrementally, we should be able to find, we ought to be able to find, you know, the diabetes package, for instance, that is an assistant uh, to the endocrinologist 
that identifies in a population of you know 570 diabetics, uh, for instance, who is actually in control, right? And and we can send them a reassuring message, and we can uh, bring them back periodically to the certified diabetic educator, and we get on protocol, get some medications refilled, and distinguish those people from the people who who urgently need care, right? Who why is it that you're actually every day seeing a 350 and then you actually dip down into some uh, you know 40 or you're having some hypoglycemic event um, let's get that person in and, and put our arms around them so they're not hospitalized unnecessarily I think you know the folks in the big system if if we just or or wherever in healthcare that any one of us might be if we just are resigned that it's not going to get better I worry for what message that is to the patient, right? And what we're telling the patient then is, well, sorry for you. Uh, I'm doing the best I can. And unfortunately, uh, it's just going to get worse. And I'm just going to, I have nothing to offer to change that, right? Or, or are there many different kinds of ways, whether it's, it's sort of warm handoffs that are proper and safer and bring the patient uh, a better outcome, or a technology solution perhaps that helps that, mm-hmm. or other technology solutions that just allow the patient to know actually they're okay. They don't actually have to tap the doctor on the shoulder, uh, the nurse, the pharmacist, the therapist, such, um, and distinguishing those people from the ones who we need, we need urgently in, right? I, I know all of your listeners will know the time when they're in front of a clinical situation and they went, why could I have not seen this, you know, two hours earlier, two days earlier, a week earlier, right? Why, why is it now? And that's what, you know, for, for those folks feeling overburdened, you know, join us, figure out, mm-hmm. figure out how it is that we can help, we can find the new capabilities of information transfer, actually find a better way to provide what your patient needs. As we've continued to sort of advance the society's uh, efforts in this area, it seems every day I encounter a new member who says, I can't believe you're doing this, this is fantastic. And I think a lot of patients forget that, you know, physicians are scientists, they're problem solvers, they're curious, they they want to do it a better way, they want to find a, a better solution, a more efficient, a less painful solution for for the system and for their patients and for themselves. And so there's this natural connection between the innovation space and our membership. And I, I'm very excited to continue to work with WEA Trust and NewGen and the Generator as we continue to find our voice in this space. Anything else you want to talk about? Yeah, you know, uh, I agree with you, Peter, for sure. I, I think the uh, I do think there's there's a lot of excitement, of course, around you know new technology and such, and still whatever the new technology is still has to actually serve its purpose, right? I would have us as um, I would have us as physicians remember that we badly, badly need the rest of that team, right? That, that mm-hmm. almost nothing we do is actually done alone. And, and we need to be involved in, uh, yes, seeing the patient every day. Um, but too many, too many times, and I saw this, I see this from where I'm at now as a chief medical officer of an insurance company, and I see it, um, you know, when I saw when I was a chief medical officer for the medical society, is 
that people will be in their everyday lives, but they sometimes won't make the investment to figure out how to do it differently. And it's mm -hmm. hard work, right? That's, that's definitely hard work. Um, but very often when clinicians get together, they'll make a better solution, right? And organizing uh, their, their thoughts together. When physicians and nurses and pharmacists actually get together, they come up with new solutions. And we've got to not think about ourselves in some silo. We have got to think about, you know, if you're going to serve that patient best, uh, what are you going to do? Right? What, how are you gonna? How are you gonna help them best? So that anyway, that's my. I spend my. Uh, I spend my day trying to think through that. Well, I think all the patients of Wisconsin are uh, better off because you're spending your time on this, Tim. We appreciate it. So as we think about what the next generation of technology is going to bring, as far as disruption and innovation, we have to look at that in the context of a workforce conversation where we we simply don't have enough bodies to serve all the patients. We don't have that resource. How is technology going to impact the workforce of tomorrow? What's that going to look like? Yeah, so I think the uh, I think that uh, technology will allow a clinician actually to take care of a broad panel of people, honestly. We've talked about this for a long time where uh, somebody should have a panel of you know two thousand patients or something of the sort. But we haven't had the we haven't had the tools actually to know how that patient's care was going to go. You know, again, can you distinguish between those people who are stable and need you know just periodic love and reassurance uh, from those who actually have an urgent this week, today, maybe even this hour medical need? Um, so I, I think I think physicians, nurses, pharmacists, others are going to be needed for that population management. And let me let me be additionally clear though. Some people will argue that we just need more doctors and we need more uh, nurses and such. We need to train them faster, right? Train them faster, train more of them, and, and, have, and have Wisconsin uh, actually somehow you know, pay all the additional people at the same time that we have sort of silly workflow all your listeners who are clinicians will will hear me in in saying look is this uh you know taking a complex patient and, and putting them in an eight minute visit that's just nuts and that's manufacturing right uh, mm -hmm. a burnout right well, there's no way that i can actually have accomplished everything that i needed to do that and yet i'm constrained by what, what we need is uh, we need better workflow frankly we need a way to, to help understand how it is that that patient can be cared for in what level of need they have. Everybody doesn't need the same amount of it. So somebody with uh, 17 drugs and six chronic conditions, they're going to need a little bit more time. So I, I, just, I just say for all the folks who think this problem is going to be made by adding more people to the same inefficient system, Let's get more creative, right? Um, at the same time, that we we frankly need to have healthcare uh, more sensitive to the cost that those patients are experiencing because they will not be able to come in mm -hmm. and get the care they need. We we in healthcare, without intention, are manufacturing poverty, and we ought to stop that. So this workforce question can be solved in many different ways, but I think more of the same is just wrong-minded. Thank you.
Well, that'll wrap up this edition of WISMED On Call. If you like what you heard, please visit our website at www.wisconsinmedicalsociety.org and look for future episodes wherever you get your podcasts. If you have suggestions or feedback, please send an email to communications at wismed.org. Thanks for listening.